What's up, everybody? This is Zach. I'm back with another episode of EM Weekly. Uh, I planned to get an episode out last week, and for the first time in a long time, uh, I screwed it up. The audio was unsalvageable, uh, which was unfortunate because uh, I thought it was going to be a good episode. Uh, and uh, it doesn't really matter. It's dead to me, all right? I'm moving on. Um, it is 2024. I am very excited this year. Uh, <clears throat> I think you're going to find so what we're going to talk about today is we're going to talk about innovation. Uh, what is the the stuff that I'm anticipating is going to happen in 2024 and where we're going to see improvements in our field, in the technology, and how we approach emergency management. Uh, I think 2024 is going to be a very exciting uh, period uh, for all of us. For us at the Readiness Lab specifically, we have a lot of really, really cool stuff that uh, we're going to be doing in the uh, in this year. Uh, we've got some new people uh, that we'll be introducing in the near future. Um, just I, 2024 is great. We're off to a great start. We're feeling good. Um, we've already had disasters in my neck of the woods. Um, we had a uh, really significant wind event uh, a couple days ago, which also prolonged getting an episode out um you know just the weather around here and i know everyone's probably saying the same thing has been uh pretty wild and pretty extreme vermont's been impacted by two significant one major flood event one that was like pretty significant not quite as bad as the one we had over the summer uh back in july but still pretty substantial um and this occurred in in december uh mid-december and uh, we had a, a major wind event uh, just the other day. Last year on Christmas weekend, we had a major wind event. Um, you know, we're just facing more and more of these types of disasters. Um, you know, and maybe it's cyclical with you know El Nino or La Nina type of stuff. I know that does have an impact on us, um, and usually the sort of extremes uh, in our weather. Um, but just very weird weather. Tonight we're expecting another pretty significant wind event. Um, and we still have people who are without power from the last one. And we still have uh, houses that were uh, damaged and, and in a couple cases, unfortunately, just in, in my literally half mile down the road, there was like, I think four houses destroyed uh, by trees that fell down and, and crushed the house. So uh, just the like, you know, we have like a really good like 2024 is going to be awesome. But I also know our job is getting more and more crucial and important. And it seems like disasters, not seems, I mean, the data shows disasters are more common. So I think all of us, as we go into this year, need to sort of reflect on how we've done things, how we plan to do things, um, and really push to do better. So when I started emergency management, uh, over 10 years ago now, really, I think it's like almost 15 years. I did some volunteer stuff uh, when I was in college uh, with emergency management stuff. Um, I thought, you know, my vision of what will this field look like a decade from now? I thought there would be just, we would be in a totally different world. We'd be doing things with more technology, more advancement. Um, you know, ICS would shift around, we would have different ways to approach things. Um, you know, I remember reading, uh, Stanley McChrystal's book, uh, team of teams and just thinking like, why are we not 
using that decentralized, you know, uh, problem solving approach to disasters instead of the very slow, bureaucratic, hierarchical, super structured, fairly centralized approach of how we've done emergency management for a long time. Um, but here we are, and it kind of doesn't really feel like we've moved the needle as much as I'd hoped to. So, um, but last year, I feel like we had just a insane amount of growth, especially in the last six months where AI came out of nowhere, um, you know, and just changed how we do stuff and all sorts of like other new stuff was coming out. So we're gonna, anyways, we're gonna talk about that today. Um, real quick, let's go to our sponsors. Uh, we've got some new ones. Um, also, if you haven't uh, checked out our subscription service, we have two uh, audio TTXs on there. There's a third one that's gonna be going up next week. We're also gonna be doing a live uh, podcasting roundtable type of event. Um, keep an eye on your emails for that. Uh, super exciting, so be right back. The L3 Harris Extreme 400P radio solves problems and is specifically designed for emergency services. How do we know? We field tested it with medical, urban search and rescue and collapse and confined structures. This radio is amazingly tough. Check out the L3 Harris Extreme 400P radio at L3Harris.com right now. If you served in the military, you've probably worn Proper Apparel. Proper Apparel is now reaching out to first responders and those who love the outdoors. Check out Proper Apparel from the outdoors to the EOC, wear proper. How do you spell Doberman Emergency Management? EOP, OEP, HVA, HMP, Thyra, TTX, Drone, PDA. Whenever you need an expert, Doberman Emergency Management field experts are there for support. Contact an expert at DobermanEMG.com today. Okay, we're back. Uh, I already wasted five minutes just on the introduction uh, and talking about the why I think we need to fix stuff. Uh, I'm really trying to keep my episodes faster, A, because editing them is kind of a pain in the butt, uh, but two, because uh, I think I want to do more episodes versus uh, really big ones. So I'm going to try to shoot for 30 minutes. Um, but anyway, so let's start with 2024. What am I anticipating? AI is obviously, uh, you know, I am an AI evangelist. Um, I have been using it uh, for everything for the last, um, you know, really since ChatGPT came out. Um, it has helped me tremendously in my project management, my organization. Um, I really like being able to basically just like have a stream of consciousness, you know, just write down what I'm thinking and then say, hey, ChatGPT or Claude or, uh, you know, whatever version you're using, can you help me organize this into projects? And can you help me maybe build the schedule out of this? And can you maybe help me uh, <laughs> have some semblance of control over my life? Um, uh, it is a force multiplier. Uh, the other area, so we built a couple GPTs uh, that, again, if you're a subscriber, you get access to, um, to help with uh, exercise design and to help with um, you know, building out your messaging uh, for iPods and other mass notification systems. Um, it just from someone who worked in a single person emergency management shop for seven years, and even when I worked for uh, larger agencies, they were a little bit larger, they weren't huge, there wasn't dozens of people. Um, you know, you have to wear a lot of hats. And what that means is, especially early on in the start of a disaster, it can be really hard to sort of 
prioritize what do I need to do first, right? Because you've got the people who are asking for help. You've got the resources asking where to go. And you've got to like lay a foundation for that response. Like, how are we structuring this? Like, you know, who's in control? What are the, you know, how, how extensive is the disaster? How complex? Um, all these things that are uh, hitting you all at the same time. And you're just trying to make sense of it. So that means you have this like lag from the incident to when you're actually starting to respond that makes it really difficult. I think AI is going to cut that lag significantly down. Um, you know, even things like uh, I love checklists. I can build checklists into AI to keep me in check and ask the questions and then respond, you know, if I'm give an answer that's outside of the normal spec or it's, you know, contingent on the event that we're in um, and it's dynamic and it's thinking with me, um, you know, just, just being able to expedite your, your from left of boom, boom into response uh, in as short a period as possible. I think you're going to see that dramatically increase. Um, I've already seen some public safety agencies uh, or software integrating AI in, in different ways um, interestingly, there's some hesitation I've noticed from some companies about using it or even, uh, putting it in their system. Um, and you know, it is a newer tech, but it's, it's pretty mature at this point. And, you know, being able to build your own custom GPTs, uh, or, um, you know, using either chat GPT or another, uh, you know, LLM or, or, um, you know, uh, natural language processing model, uh, type thing, uh, and using your data for that so that, you know, it's not pulling from all the data it's pulling from your stuff. Like that's not hard anymore. It's, it's actually quite achievable. I mean, you can, anyone can basically build their own GPT through the, uh, um, you know, through chat GPT now, uh, with their builder and, you know, a large company, especially a tech company, uh, should be able to tap into the API pretty quickly to start to take advantage of it. So anyways, AI, I know I, I talk about it all the time. I don't want to beat a dead horse, uh, but I think this uh, in next year, you're going to see leaps and bounds uh, of improvement in both the AI and how we're using it in emergency management. Um, you know, again, if you're not doing this, you're not going to get replaced by AI. But if you are not tapped into this, you're going to be replaced by someone who is. Uh, and so Everyone, I don't care how much of a Luddite you are, you got to get, we, we have got to move beyond, uh, you know, the, the, the pen and paper method. And I know, okay, power outage, comm outage, technology can fail us. It's just not really true anymore. Um, you know, even the state of Vermont, I remember growing up, we used to have power outages all the time. Green Mountain Power is like trying to build these, in, you know, intelligent like microgrids throughout the state and build resilience. We haven't lost power uh, in, I mean, even in the windstorm, I mean, we had a gust of at least 75 miles an hour. I think it was higher than that, but the closest um, weather station is at the Franklin County Airport, which is pretty far away. Um, I know my patio furniture literally disappeared, just vaporized, gone. My playset uh, got blown to smithereens, uh, which sucks. My kids still use that quite a bit. Um, and now it's just in shards in our yard. Um, but uh, we didn't lose we didn't lose power. We didn't lose internet. I was talking to my neighbors. I was talking, you know, to the uh, fire chief and stuff. There was all sorts of cool, you know, like even day before, like coordinating ahead of time. You know, we can we can rely on this technology now. It, it's 
it's flexible, it's resilient. Um, so take advantage of it, lean into it. Uh, more technology, I think software, uh, the, the sort of critical information systems that we've relied on, um, you know, have felt pretty archaic and old and outdated. Um, I think you're going to start to see, I think, quite a few evolutions in that. A, because there's more ways to respond to disasters now, right? You're not sort of stuck in the early days of like, this is the path, right? There's more systems out there. There are companies who are really trying to uh, take advantage of, you know, technology and and try to make managing it through technology more approachable and easier. Uh, you know, Viochi, I just saw, uh, <clears throat> I think they are 10 years old, 15 years old. I remember when that came out and it was just so different and so flexible. Noggin, that's what we used when I was at the um, university. Uh, again, like almost like a sandbox approach. And they did a fairly big refresh a few years ago. Um, but even companies that like anyone who's used it, you know, uh, Everbridge was looking a bit dated and now they're moving into, uh, Everbridge 360, uh, trying to take all of their different components and sort of build it into a single system and, and really set up the single pane of glass. Uh, I really liked, uh, visual command center, uh, as an approach. If you use, uh, Everbridge, you sort of get a taste of that with the universe now, but, the VCC, uh, if you tap into it, you get intelligence, you can run your incidents through there. It's all sort of map-based. Um, and I think 360, if I understand it correctly, will be taking advantage of that. So you'll have your messaging, your incident management, all sort of on one platform. Uh, and I think their goal is to pull in all of their different platforms into that. Uh, there's companies like Floodmap. You'll be hearing from them shortly. We recorded an episode just uh, before the new year uh, I love Floodmap. I have uh, known those folks uh, for several years now. As soon as they, when they first started coming into the U.S., um, I was given an opportunity to chat with them, um, and they are doing just amazing stuff when it comes to flood mapping and uh, prediction. Uh, you know, forecasting floods, uh, tracking floods as they happen, very accurately using lots of different technology. Um, high resolution, highly accurate. Uh, I, if you're not familiar with them, definitely check them out. Um, the other thing that I see is like sort of a democratization of technology now. So like things that used to be, you'd have to be like the biggest of the big agencies to have access to, you can now get like fairly affordably. And I, I think there's a lot of companies that are trying to, you know, take advantage of that and build on it. Um, there's a company that uh, I've been chatting with called Beacon. I highly recommend you check that out. Be I think it's B-E-A-K-O-N. They're doing like this really cool, uh, super granular intelligence platform, but not just pulling from social media. If you've used some of the other platforms that are like entirely just like AI is pulling out of social media and, and thinking it knows what you want to hear and you get just so much noise. Uh, they're using like 911 data, really, really cool stuff. Um, you know, Planet Labs, the company you can, you know, basically anyone, you know, <laughs> relatively could afford to buy uh, in near real time satellite imagery. Um, and they have um, all sorts of like really cool uh, multi-band, you know, radar based imagery. They're updating their platforms all the time. Uh, if you pay lots of money, you can even get like on demand, you can tell it where to go. So 
lots of improvement software, but more importantly, like democratizing that software so that even small agencies can start to take advantage of it. I think that's going to be really, really important. Um, and, um, you know, like even things like giant voice systems, uh, I used a portable giant voice system the other day, uh, not the other day, this was like months ago, but anyways, uh, I could lie. You wouldn't know. Uh, but it was months ago. I'll be honest. Uh, it was, uh, one of the Genesis LRAD, uh, portable, uh, giant voice systems, you know, just that technology. Like I know it sounds like silly, but overhead sirens and loudspeakers have gotten much better. Uh, and you can reach much larger portions of your population with a, you know, I like the giant voice system because it doesn't, you know, let, let's say we do lose all the technology, right? Being able to pick up a microphone and very loudly tell your community what's happening and what you need them to do, uh, still super important. So, uh, all right, moving on next, emergency management practices. I think we're finally on the cusp of uh, breaking the old rigid and sort of ancient emergency management stuff we've done forever. Uh, I've noticed, especially since uh, CPG 101 basically said, hey, it's okay. I, I know FEMA, they'll say, you can do ICS in any way that you want. But of course, most of us default to the good old fashioned ICS that we've known for decades. Um, when CPG 101 said, hey, mission support model, this is actually a pretty cool approach to this. And it's a little bit more flexible. Um, I've seen a ton of agencies move towards that. And, and even since that move, now I've seen agencies sort of saying like, well, okay, if that worked really well, like maybe there's ways for us uh, to operate uh, and do things in a way that is more effective and less rigid uh, than ICS, right? Um, and, you know, with the newer technology and, and with all of us sort of working in a decentralized, uh, physically disparate, you know, way, of course, through remote uh, work and, um, you know, just the ability to run everything off of a smart device, I think you're going to see emergency management really start to innovate in how we're doing it. Um, and, you know, being more flexible and resilient um, and leveraging technology to make us more effective. It's happening. I think it's going to happen even more. We have the, the next generation of emergency managers is fully in here. They were born into technology, the internet. They'd never known a time when there was no internet. I knew a period uh, of several years where, you know, there was no such thing as the internet and I didn't have access to it. So I'm like the bridging the gap of this. I can't wait till the next gen comes in here and just blows up, you know, even what we've, we've done. So I'm super excited for that. Um, and you'll see, we have some stuff that we're kind of trying to pitch and propose in this area. Um, and if you're interested in this, please reach out to us. We'd love to find more partners to, to just break the system. Training and exercising. Um, this has been a particular area of interest for us, uh, and for me, I, as far back as I have done emergency management, I really made an effort to do training and exercising differently because I am an easily distractible uh, and bored individual. And so anytime I ran an exercise and anytime I ran training, I always had sound effects, I had video, I had humor. Um, I wanted it to be immersive. I wanted it to be engaging. My presentation style, I really tried to use pictures and, and moving images and stuff versus lots of words. Death by PowerPoint, 
kill it. I'm done. I want the death of death by PowerPoint. Um, you know, I know that there's limitations, but we're really getting to the point now where there is a lot of really fun and exciting ways to get trained. Um, and I think some, I posted this uh, a couple weeks ago, but gamifying emergency management. I have been working on uh, a whole bunch of different approaches. Uh, one of our uh, friends, Anthony Escato, uh, sent something the other day. They had a board game that they're playing. Uh, this is for NISIM, uh doing a cybersecurity incident. And, uh, um, oh, I got to, let me call out her name. Uh, let's see. Victoria Kluge, uh, who works for, I might be saying her name. She works for City of Atlanta uh, as an exercise. I think she's maybe the exercise manager, but she posted this really cool um, thing that they were doing using, uh, I think it was like a Dungeons and Dragons approach to emergency. Yes, there it is. Uh, so you should look her up. Uh, but basically they created, it's called Rolling for Resilience, uh, and they built like a Dungeons and Dragons approach to emergency management, which I think is awesome. Um, uh, oh my gosh, I'm going to forget her last name. Tyga, who, Tyga Christie, who, uh, she did this presentation last year at the Vermont Preparedness Conference, and it was about how when she was in Portland, they had used a uh, a performance like a it wasn't really like a play it was it was pretty interactive but they ran through a, basically the if the cascadia you know earthquake occurs um and you know portland oregon is highly susceptible to earthquake damage that it's you know essentially like an island uh, there's bridges all around the city and um you know you can look at the reports uh of what will happen when that eventually does occur. Um, and they were trying to communicate to people like, you need to be prepared. You need to think about this. And, you know, that's hard for a lot of folks because if you live in an environment where, you know, you feel safe and, you know, you're kind of complacent because you're just comfortable, you know, you can't even begin to imagine how bad it can be. And so they're like, well, how do we maybe convey this in a way that is, uh, approachable and understandable. So they create, they made a play to basically run an exercise. That's essentially what they were doing was running an exercise for the community. And they would talk about the event. They used all real world landscapes, uh, sorry, landmarks for their city. So, you know, they're like, oh man, this road is blocked. There was a building that came down. The hospital is overrun. Uh, we can't even get to the hospital. We need, we have people who are hurt and, you know, we need to figure out how do we get them to help and, or can we do this ourselves? And they immersed people. It was like a, uh, uh, they were talking to a, you know, public forum, you know, the earthquake happens and you get your community together and you're all just trying to work through it. So during the performance, like people are getting up in the audience and, and performing and saying, you know, like, well, I, I just went down there, like the roads closed and there's power lines down and, you know, uh, there's dead bodies in the road and stuff. So, uh, I think there's a lot of people who are, who are really pushing the envelope in this area, um, Again, I'm I'm a tech geek, so I, I tend to put a lot of weight on technology. But uh, the Dungeons and Dragons, all you need is essentially, you know, someone who knows how to play it, uh, some dice uh, to you know roll, and you know have a good time and work through it. Um, 
I think moving away from the big, huge, uh, extravagant events as well. So one thing that we're kind of trying to bridge the gap in is you, you come into emergency management training, there's a ton of introductory training. And then there's this just giant void between that and then like the executive and advanced level training. And so for a lot of folks, they're not able to stay competent or proficient in their skills because there's not a lot to offer once you do, you know, you can do the, the EMI courses and, you know, sure teaks and some of the others, but, but, you know, there's a point where you're kind of like, well, it feels like it's either rehashing stuff I've already done, which is fine. Or, uh, it's just like, this is boring and I've done this before and yeah, I'll go through it again. Cause I do want to stay, you know, stay up to date and, and, you know, keep my muscles flexed on this, but you atrophy and you become weaker as an emergency manager. So again, we're trying to find ways to solve this through like our little audio uh, tabletop exercises that we've started to release on the subscription. There's a new one coming out about cyber. Um, and then, you know, uh, stuff that you can do in your own time and with smaller teams. I think that's something that, uh, you know, we should be working towards, you know, having the huge exercises, you got to do those every once in a while. So you bring everyone together and see how it all works. But uh, those take months, years to prepare for, um, you know, like uh, some of the best training I've done in the state and the best exercising is our CADEX, catastrophic exercises or the MOBEXs with the guard. But, you know, those are every three, four years. Uh, they're really expensive. And the truth is, when the exercise gets that big, you have a very small role in this. Um, oh, back to emergency management practices. I want to foot stomp this too. Get out from behind your desk, okay? Stop waiting for the big one to try your skills. Uh, there are structure fires every day in your communities. There are infrastructure failures. You can do a lot of different stuff to help out in those smaller incidences that translate into the big ones. Um, I am actually a big proponent of doing a lot more small stuff versus waiting a long time and doing the one big thing. That's for training and exercising. That's for just general, you know, emergency management. Um, you know, <clears throat> we... I, it's like building, right? Like if you're if you're getting into woodworking, I've probably used this analogy before. Um, you're not going to build a house for your first project. You know, you're probably going to build like a pencil holder or a you know cutting board, something that is fairly small, fairly easy to to work with, and and that's how you sort of build your skills. And you might build a thousand cutting boards. Now you're ready to build a desk, a table. Then you build a thousand tables. Then you're ready to build, uh, you know, a room, re redesign a room. Then you could build a house, you know, after a long, long time. But you have to just sort of like constantly, and even while like, you know, I know tons of people who build houses and build huge buildings, and they still like to do cutting boards and the small stuff. That's like how you get all your gifts and everything for, you know, that's what they're doing for Christmas gifts and stuff. So um, I'm just saying, I think we should, be more active. And I think we should be better integrated with our first response agencies and getting out there and doing more stuff. Go to the scene, uh, ride a fire truck, ride a police car, know what the people that you're going to be working with are doing. Um, you know, one thing that I sort of found, I, I was a responder who came into emergency management and I, I 
recognized when I first came in that there was way too many fire EMS chiefs, you know, police chiefs, military, like, you know, officers who retired and were running emergency management. And they were basically running it how they did when they were the chief. And we were like, okay, this doesn't really work because it's a lot of tactical and not enough strategy. Um, Cause that's what emergency management is strategy and coordination and, you know, the higher level of it. But now I'm sort of feeling like we've swung maybe too far in the other direction where some emergency managers may have never gotten that response experience, which is fine. That's not to say it makes them a better or worse emergency manager, but having your response experience, you've, you've been through, you know, thousands of many disasters and it gives you comfort. It gives you confidence um, in responding and, I think we need to find some sort of middle ground now to make sure that our emergency managers understand, you know, the resources that they're, you know, potentially assigning and, and sending, um, as well as the language and working with them. Plus, it builds a better relationship, right? When we're all in the trenches and we're suffering together, that builds stronger bonds. So uh, we're going to have someone on, I think, next week uh, from NISIM. He's a city interagency coordinator. Um, I basically have built my approach to emergency management off of NISM's New York City Emergency Management's uh, city interagency model because I have always worked in small or single person shops. So I could stand up an EOC, but it's just going to be me sitting in a room. So many, many times uh, I would go to the scene and set up with the unified command or adjacent to them. And they would offload all of the other stuff that they don't need to do onto me, the non-tactical stuff. Um, and the, you know, helping them plan for multiple operating periods or resource management, let them deal with the uh, actual life-saving activities, you know, a chief having to come up with, uh, oh God, I got to come up with, you know, mass care because this apartment building evacuated a bunch of people. I need to make notifications to the community. I need to call the state watch officer. I got to do all this stuff, you know, versus like, oh yeah, I still have people inside this burning building, putting the fire out. And it looks like the building maybe is doing some funky stuff. So I don't want it to fall and, and hurt my folks. Um, you can do that. It is totally okay for you to be on scene. I'm going to say it. I had a cruiser when I was the university emergency manager and I responded on scene to, to law enforcement incidents, uh, to, uh, facilities incidents where we had, you know, infrastructure failures. I was supporting, uh, the communities around me. I was supporting the other colleges in the area that didn't have the same resources that I did. Um, and it made me a better emergency manager. It also meant I had <clears throat> a very deep bench of people that I could call on when I needed help. <clears throat> so get out there, do the job, you know, let's change how we're doing stuff. All right. Finally, communication systems, uh, the number one AAR bullet, uh, you know, I can't talk. Um, first off guys, see this, this radio, this is how it's supposed to be held. If you're holding it like this or like this. Uh, it's not going to work. Uh, antenna up, propagates out this way, radiates, I think technically is the term. Um, and this is how it's supposed to work. Um, but using this as a model as well, this is the XL200 from L3 Harris. I love this radio. Uh, they have a, another one that's one size bigger, the XL400, which is NFPA certified. Uh, we got to burn one at a training and we threw it in the water and like we're calling it, it was really cool. Uh, it And you could just, beat the ever-living snot of it. And L3 Harris let us do that, which I think 
is the most th fun thing ever. I love just beating the absolute snot out of technology. Uh, but this is this is like what future radios are. It's got VHF, UHF, uh, 700, 800, uh, LTE, Wi-Fi, all in one device. And this one's like, it's affordable. Like it's, it's I, I've had other multi-band radios where, you know, you end up basically blowing your entire budget on one radio. Um, but this is a, this is a, again, another full force multiplier. You as an emergency manager, you know, in a large incident where tons and tons of people show up, maybe you'll have enough people with enough radios that you can make uh, interagency communication work. But for a lot of emergency managers, you are it. So being able to talk over multiple bands using uh, potentially a Wi-Fi or LTE, you know, cell service uh, to communicate uh, with a push to talk um, is hugely valuable. And it's no longer like for the upper, upper, upper tier agencies, you know, really any agency could afford at least a couple of these um, and not break the budget. Uh, but now you have like Starlink is starting to be built into cell phones. You know, the SOS on, on um, your iPhone uh, connects to a satellite. Uh, I know there was a whole bunch of uh, um, news that came out, I think yesterday, the day before about texting over uh, Starlink on cell phones. Um, you know, we're, we're not going to be too far behind before voice push to talk and data over, you know, satellites. So you'll never be disconnected. Um, even the regular huge Starlink systems, our, our state urban search and rescue team just got uh, their Starlink system. Um, we also got two of the, um, uh, I think they're called Com Runners. It's the Pod Runner basically set up, but it's got uh, FirstNet, and I think one of them has a Starlink uh, antenna on it as well. You know, this is stuff that used to take a, a FEMA MERS truck to accomplish, and now you can just basically pack it into the back of an SUV um, or carry it right on your hip. I mean, I doubt it's going to be much longer before these have satellite access as well. Um, and, you know, these are computer-based. So, like, as you're, you know, moving towards, uh, you know, uh, what, what the next step is, uh, software-based radios – can be upgraded and changed. Uh, so it's not like before where like if your radio was outdated, it was dead. You know, firmware updates might be able to add all sorts of new features to this. So really, really cool. Um, and the other thing that I think is going to come with this is a huge push for more sensors everywhere. Uh, Internet of Things, if you're not familiar with it, you know, basically uh, you can take sensors, put them in the little tiny, you know, uh, either a platform that already exists like a cell phone um, or use like Raspberry Pi or their own, you know, proprietary, you know, chipset and, and board uh, and build a sensor that you can put anywhere, especially now if you have Starlink and you could transmit data. Floodmap talked about how they use, uh, you know, agencies can go out and buy these sensors that you can put along, you know, areas that are not covered by the national data set of, flood map sensors or flooding uh, sensors. So now you have stream gauge data for areas that never did before at an affordable rate and you can move it, right? Like, so the other thing that happens with rivers and streams is they actually migrate a little bit. And so you're having fixed base sites may not work that well. You know, you're tracking drought, drought comes and goes. You might be in an area where like you've set up all this amazing drought monitoring technology and then the drought goes away for a decade. Um, or you get a drought in an area that wasn't anticipated and now you don't have any data. 
wildfire threats. You're definitely going to see tons of innovation in this. Uh, being able to put wildfire detection, you know, whether it's camera, like thermal cameras or, you know, particulate or whatever, plus the uh, monitoring stuff, you know, the, the humidity, uh, temperature, winds, you know, in a compact little device that you could move around. Maybe you get hundreds of these, place them in critical areas because you know, like, holy crap, the, the fire threat now is approaching the, you know, uh, wildland urban interface of a major city and we want to make sure we're staying ahead of this oh cool the threat has been you know diminished now we can move it somewhere else where where it's uh, valuable so a lot of internet of things so that's where i'm going to leave it i hope you like this episode i'd love to hear your thoughts what's coming uh what is the future what are you excited about in 2024 how are you preparing um and you know what are we going to do to do better uh this year than we did last year you know what were the lessons learned and what are your areas for improvement that uh we're gonna watch into so like subscribe all that good stuff and i'll talk to you next time hey we just want to do a quick pause x to thank our sponsors l3 harris proper paladin biasella impulse doberman emergency management and especially all of you who have been donating to our podcast thank you for helping us boost the signal